Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. Welcome to episode 9 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Today we have an amazing interview with Steve Bell, who is a musician, poet, artist, fellow pilgrim, and as you discover in this interview, as I discovered, really a theologian. Um, Right now you are hearing the song, Love is Our Way, from Steve's album, Where the Good Way Lies. And I'm just going to let it play for a little bit for you to enjoy, and then I'm going to continue with uh, my introduction. But just let's have a listen right here to this wonderful song. The stony road of loneliness has now become a royal way, a highway home. Love's our way to God. Love is our 
fantastic song. Uh, that was just great to listen to. Now, before we get to the interview, I wanted to give you a bit of a personal update for myself. I've been working on a new book called Let God Be Present, and the ebook is available for pre-order right now, and it will be out on May 30th, and it's 2017. I know some people are listening to this in the future, so the book is, if you're in the future, it's available on Amazon, and you can go grab it. I'm really excited about this book, and it, it represents some of my own struggles with the idea of God's presence and how it is that we connect with God and, and how that happens. I wanted to read to you uh, just a tiny bit of the introduction because it really captures what this book is about. So um, please bear with me and, and just uh, just listen to this as, uh, as I read to you from the introduction from my latest book, Let God Be Present. So much writing about God assumes that we want more of God, but I'm not convinced that we all have that desire. Even as a pastor, I have not always wanted to be in God's presence. I remember singing the words of Psalm 42 when I was a teenager, and I always cringed. As the Deer is still one of my least favorite songs. Partly, I just don't like the tune. But on higher reflection, I think I found it hard to internalize the words. Here are the first two verses of the psalm. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? While I understood what the psalm was driving at and recognized the importance of God in my life, I didn't feel my soul longing for God. And I let the language of longing, thirsting, or yearning for God shut down any smaller desire to seek God that may have existed within me. The assumption that everyone who follows Jesus must be longing for a deeper and more intimate relationship with God just didn't ring true to my experience. Along with the assumption that Christians must want more of God's presence, we have also often assumed that the real problem is somehow related to proper spiritual technique. Books, sermons, blogs, devotionals, and all kinds of other resources have been produced to try to help people connect with God, focusing on the how-to, how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to think, how to have more faith. And I've preached many such sermons and created my fair share of resources. This short book of reflections is not a how-to guide. Instead, it is offered as a way of shaking up your thinking about God's presence. I believe it is good and right to want God's presence, but there is something within me that is resistant to that notion. Each part of this book contains reflections on biblical stories that draw out some of my struggle with the idea of God's presence. I offer this in the hopes that those who struggle with the idea of intimacy with God, and if you cringed at that phrase, please keep reading, this book is for you, may have their minds and hearts turned toward a new posture of openness to God's presence. So that's just part of the introduction, and thanks for listening to that. If you're interested at all in the book, and I would just love for you to go in and read it, you can get the book on Amazon, and it's 99 cents for the ebook. Uh, the best ways to find it is just go and search for Let God Be Present uh, on Amazon's website, or you can just go to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com slash books. Okay, we're coming to the interview with Steve Bell. And this was such an amazing interview. It was a super honest conversation, and we just covered so much in the time that we had. It's just packed with amazing stuff. 
Um, so as you're listening, if you're thinking, wow, I like, what did they just say? Like, I want, I want to come back to that. You can go and find show notes. It's not a full transcript, but I've compiled some show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com slash Steve. And it'll just have uh, a few notes about some of the things we talked about, plus some links to uh, particularly some of the authors that uh, Steve mentions throughout. Um, he's just super well-read and uh, and drops a whole bunch of different names of people. So if you want to know about who some of those people are, um, I provided some links to some of them uh, in the show notes. It was uh, it was really awesome to uh, interview Steve um, because I got to do it in person. Uh, he's local to Winnipeg in Canada here. And uh, him and his team of people who work at Signpost Music were extremely gracious. Uh, Steve is a really accomplished musician. Um, he's won a Juno, Juno Award, um, which, if you're not familiar, uh, is kind of the Canadian Grammy Awards. Um, and he was nominated this year again for a, a Juno um, and, uh, and he's just, he's just an amazing musician and has been, uh, doing this for a long time. Um, if you've had an opportunity to hear his music, you know that it's a blessing and you know, if you've been to a concert of his, his concerts are fantastic. Um, and, uh, because he's also a storyteller and that kind of comes across in the interview as well. Um, so, you know, go and look him up for sure. And, uh, and also support. He's been an independent musician, like before people were even thinking about being independent musicians, <laughs> in a way. Um, he's been doing that for a long time as well, just has his own label, and his own studio. Um, so they were, when I went to go and meet with him, I thought I was going to just record on my iPhone. And, uh, and they basically said, hey, why don't we just record it in the studio? So I got to go and sit in uh, the studio at Signpost Music, and uh, and we recorded uh, our interview there. Um, and uh, Dave Zielinski did the the uh, recording for us, so that was just great um, to have that experience. It was a great experience for me. I just loved it. Um, and then after we did the interview, I asked him if I could play a few songs of his on the podcast, and he said, "Yeah, sure, uh, play whatever you like." Um, so after the interview. Um, there are a couple of tracks. Uh, chose the the title track from Where the Good Way Lies, which is uh, the most recent uh, album that came out um, in 2016. And we talk about that title track and and the title at the beginning of our interview as well. So if you wait till the end, uh, you'll get to hear the the title track from that. Um, and then I also uh, at the very end just uh, wanted to include one of my personal favorites of his. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what that is. You can hang in and uh, find out what it is at the end. Um, so I just thought that was really cool. Um, at one point in the interview, we talk about a certain song that Steve has been working on called "Wouldn't You Like to Know." And uh, and actually afterwards, when I did ask him if I could play some of his music, and he agreed, he said, "Hey, why don't you play that song that we talked about?" Uh, wouldn't you like to know? It's probably going to be on a future album, and we just recorded it recently, so we could just give you the song, uh, you know, on a on a USB drive or email it to you, and uh, and yeah, you pl play that one. No one will have, have heard it, other than maybe some people hearing it at concerts and things like that. And I'm thinking, really? Like, I even said, are you sure you want to do that? And he says, yeah, go for it. So here it is, uh, and then the interview will follow after this song. So. 
uh, here for your enjoyment. And I think it's actually a really great song, a yet-to-be-released single by Steve Bell called Wouldn't You Like to Know. Thanks, Steve, for uh, letting me come down to your studio. Yeah. This is so awesome. I wasn't expecting to come and do this in the studio, but this is amazing. It works, um, it works good. So yeah. thanks for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. Oh, you're very welcome, Matt. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start as well um, just talking about your latest album, actually. Okay. And uh, it's called Where the Good Way Lies. Yeah. And that phrase is actually from Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah 6.16, 6. 6. yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read the, the passage, actually. Okay. And, uh, and then I want to ask you about it. Um, it says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way lies and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask, what do you think the good way is? And then how does one walk in it? Well, the, the um, I mean, I think that one of the reasons why it attracted me in the first place is I've been spending a lot of time with First Nations people, uh, mm. First Nations Christians, and they have their path, their way, you know. Um, but they, most of them don't even talk of themselves as being Christians. They talk to themselves as being um, uh, followers of the Jesus way. Right. Right. You know, because Christianity has taken on, I mean, Christianity can mean almost anything from, you know, from Mother Teresa to Donald Trump. I mean, it's like, like it's such a huge word. It's sure. almost unusable now. 
Um, but to say something like I follow the Jesus way <laughs> mm-hmm. is a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a little bit like the, you know, Tony Campolo's red letter Christian movement, you know, where they're saying that whatever else that we believe, we'll, 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 we will um, discern everything through the words and the life of Christ. Right. Right, and that just sort of helps to sort of put things in perspective a little bit, especially when you look mm-hmm. back on some of the weirdness of the Old Testament. Right. But I found it interesting that in the Old Testament, you have this phrase, you know, stand at the crossroads, ask for ancient paths, right. see where the good way lies, and walk in it. And it just moved me because I think we are um, we are a culture that's so enamored by newness, mm. right? Um, we actually think that if something's new, it is by definition better than something that's a little older. Right. Um, everything's about new and improved, right? Like new and improved has been a... And I think what ends up happening is we end up being a culture that really loses um, all touchstones to the past. And really, the the best things are not new, they're ancient. Um, mm-hmm. They're not newly established. I think ultimately love is what the way is referring to. But love is a ch- kind of a cheap word unless you define it, right? Because love, <laughs> love is not necessarily affection, Although yep. it's really nice when love and affection you know, work together. Mm-hmm. But love is also defined by Jesus and ultimately is defined by Jesus' um, death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, his willingness to give up his life for his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, the self-kenosis, emptying, humility, all the things that, are, that, are, uh, that, that we see in God because of Jesus. Right. right. That we understand love to be and power and all those things to be radically different than we would have on our own. Mm-hmm. I think as well, like that, uh, the, the phrase of uh, uh, followers of the way of Jesus, that's actually an old, that's an old phrase, right? Well, like that's, well I think that's the, what... the early Christians were called the followers of the way. Right. They weren't called, I think Christians was a Constantine term or something. It was later. It yeah, was a, yeah. And it was a derogatory term. Right. Um, but yeah, no, no, there was, a, there was a deep understanding that it was a pathway. It wasn't mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, a series of, of um, you know, didactic, you know, equational things to believe in or not, right, right. which is what I was kind of taught. Yeah, yeah, for you know, sure. Believe this, yeah, and you're saved. Don't believe it, and you're going to go to hell. Yeah, and here's a here's a set of things to believe. Here, yeah. and here's a set of things you're supposed to do. Yep. and yeah. not do. Yeah, actually, more emphasis often on the not do. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> where where the original understanding was that it was a way, it was a pathway, it was a very yeah. specific, which is very Eastern, right? I mean, we've got to remember yeah. that there was no Western civilization at the time of Jesus. He was Eastern. Mm-hmm. And his way and his teachings are probably more or better understood from an Eastern mindset than a Western. There was no Western civilization at the time of Christ. That's, that's an overlay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so capitalism, commercialism, right, right. all those kinds of things, those, those, are, those are all overlays that really were not there. Right. So you said that this kind of came about a little bit through interactions with uh, First Nations people or yep. Indigenous people. Yep. Um, so can you talk a little more about that? Like how did that... How did that come about, or how has that affected uh, as well your own spirituality as well? Sure. I'm I mean, I've, I've, I've had long history with First Nations people. Um, my dad was a prison chaplain, mm-hmm. and uh, it was prison inmates that, learned, that taught me to play when I was a kid, right. federal prisoners in Drumheller, Alberta. And, uh, and, and I made the observation when I was eight years old. I remember saying to my dad, is there something wrong with Indians? And he said, mm-hmm. why? And I said, because there's more of them on the inside than there is on the outside. Wow. And uh, and I remember he looked at me and said, "That's a really good question." And that's and he didn't answer. He just said, "That's a question you might want to pursue for the rest of your life." Right. Right. And you sort because of it's it, still a question. Because it's still a question, yeah. you know. And when we see these kinds of inequities, you know, we can we can make two judgments that there's something you know actually wrong with a people group, mm-hmm. or there might be something that 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 has a, there might be something wrong with their social structure. 
Right. Right, which is a lot harder for us to deal with. Sure. Much easier just to sort of, you know, Muslims are bad or Indians are drunks or whatever it is that, that suits our fancy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And these are just such horrible reductions of people groups and stuff. So, um, but I, I mean, those those men taught me to play guitar. They were, there was a gentleness and a beauty to them. There was, um, I loved them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I've always really been sort of disposed to, to sort of sort of want to move towards First Nations people. There's something about their spirit that I just find very moving. Anyways, that's, but then throughout our lives, we've had foster children. We've had mm-hmm. lots of, you know, my, my brother-in-law is Vince Fontaine, who is, you know, assistant to, you know, the national chief. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's lots of connections there. Mm-hmm. And then recently, more recently, I've had a lot of contact with Terry LeBlanc and Ray Aldred and those, um, Cheryl Bear and Wendy Buchanan, the people that are sort of um, Richard Twiss, right. that got um, NATES going, which is North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. Right. And I actually started a master's degree through them last year. Um, so where that you take a theological, a Christian theological yeah. degree, but you do it through indigenous uh, worldview. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's, I, I knew that existed. I didn't know. It's awesome. It's awesome that that exists, and it's awesome that you're doing that. That's well. That's I started great. and I took a course, yeah. and then I had to pull back because my father's ill. So um, oh. it's on high. It's it's kind of it's it's been interrupted, and I'll have to get back to it. Yeah. Right, right. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. but they just have a different way. I mean, it's it's um, it's a uh, it's a more it's it's um, you know the 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 Western the settler Eastern um, or the, sort of the, the, the European settler um, spirituality really did come down to it's, it's a conquest spirituality, hmm. um, and it and it's conquest over peoples, it's conquest over nature. Um, the underlying assumption is the earth has no value, so we use it until it until it burns up in the final you know. Right. Days and all that kind of stuff, and so there's it's it's really been profoundly destructive, <laughs> and um, and First Nations Christian theology keeps on saying to us the Bible starts at Genesis one, not Genesis three, hmm. of God creating and saying, "Gosh, that's good," <laughs> right, right. rather than this with with the fall. The Bible right. starts with the goodness of creation, not with the fall of creation, right. and um, their criticism would be that 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 we at least emotionally and spiritually start with the fall. The, um, the original goodness of creation is, is lost on us. We don't care, right. <laughs> really. And I and I think I mean I think what's happening is that the, is the planet is getting crowded enough that we're starting to realize how bankrupt that, dangerously bankrupt that that theology is. Mm-hmm. So how would you say this is? Uh, has this impacted your own personal spirituality, or or has it? Like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of always been there. Um, but has it changed recently, or changed in I think, any way? I, th- I think it's always been there in the sense that I've, um, I've always, I've always felt alienated from Western sort of theological assumptions hmm. okay. um, since I was a little boy, um, and a lot of those is because I had connection with First Nations people. Also, our life was complicated. My mother had um, anxiety uh, um, disorder, mm-hmm. depression. She was a pastor's wife. She wasn't fixable by lobbing Bible verses at her. Um, right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it just yeah. our life was just complicated, and I had to decide that either something was profoundly wrong with us or something was profoundly deficient in our theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I decided early that there was something wrong with our theology. Mm-hmm. Not that we weren't broken. Of course we were. Right. But we just find really the broken, vulnerable God abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, it's, you know, like, you know, we look away and, and, and at, the, at the end, I just have to really wonder if a lot of Western Christianity is actually Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're seeing that now in the States, you know, we're seeing, and then so many of us are, are, are you know, would be really reticent to say that out loud. <laughs> you know, but more and more, I'm starting to believe when the Bible says that few find it, it might actually be true. 
and few among those who call themselves Christians find it. Hmm. I'm not setting myself up as being one of the chosen or anything. I'm just saying, if you actually look at the way of Christ. Don't worry. There might only be like three or four listeners for this (laughs) podcast. So, you know, say whatever you you want. As long as you you play this (laughs) in the early part of this (laughs) podcast past career, we don't have few listeners. There you go. But, you know, I mean, you just, you got to call a spade a spade. Yeah. You know, and I think it's. I think we're coming to a time now where we're going to need prophets to say, "Where well, are you?" You know, mm. who, you know, fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, especially in Canada, we're so polite; we won't do that. <laughs> oh, know? for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't know if any of that makes yeah. sense, but just as long as you apologize before you say what you want to say, <laughs> say you'll sorry be okay. afterward or before. Yeah, yeah, yeah then, yeah, then that's right. okay. That's, that's our that's our liturgy, actually. Yeah, right? That's <laughs> right. Apologize before and after. <laughs> sorry about this, but I have to tell you this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Can I, Can I ask about? Um, even your own personal spiritual practice, like what does it look like? What do you, what kinds of things do you do? How do you engage or how do you understand, uh, how do you understand spirituality, but also like, are there things that you do right. that connect you to God? Okay. I mean, first off, I mean, I've, I have wrestled with what is spirituality at anyway, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I, I certainly would not want to write a book about it at this point, but I think spirituality to me, I understand is a relationality. Okay. You know, and I think it derives from the Trinity. I think um, when we understand that God is dynamic relationality in God's very essence, it's not something that God endorses or, or thinks is a good idea. It's who God is, right? right? And it's um, um, it's it's a, a mutuality um, uh, of othering, right? That that the Father pours His life into the Son, the Son pours His life into the Father. Like it's that kind of it's it's all about mutual othering. That that um, that they we and that we've been made in the image of God. And what it really comes down to is that, and I think this is true, that we constitute each other, um, which flies totally against Western sort of assumptions. Um, but when I think about... Um, right, my, which is way more about, like, we're... Individuals. We're individuals, and we're sort yeah. of, uh, yeah, we're separate from, like, from one another. Yeah. And in essence, we kind of, we don't really need... No, we make the ourselves. Other, right? We create ourselves. Yeah. Which is the same thing about, you know, we create the world, we create our environment, we, we right. you know, the world is not adequate... So we create it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, I'm not anti-science. I'm not against you know, progress sure. or anything yeah. like that. I'm just, it's, a, it's a fundamental assumption. And but, I think we should still work as individuals. Like we shouldn't just so, of course. oh, well, I'll just be completely and utterly dependent on others. Like, yeah. You, no, no. So, but there's, but there's, there's mutuality. A, right? But there's mutuality. And, and yeah. in the end, like when, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm thinking hopefully fondly back on my life, everything <laughs> that is most valuable to me is a gift from someone else. Yeah. I'm a son. That's a gift from my parents. That doesn't reside in me. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's not you know that that's I'm a, I'm a husband. That's a gift to me from my wife. I'm a father. That's a gift to me from my children. I'm a neighbor. That's mm-hmm. a gift to me from my neighbors. I'm a friend. That's a gift to me. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. From my neighbors. So everything that I like the most about Steve Bell, actually, I need someone else to gift to me. Hmm. Um, and so and but it's actually me. And I realize then what's most important to me then now as I think about things is the quality of how I constitute you, not how I create myself. Hmm. And this is what we work for. And I think when, when, when I think, you know, you start getting that concept and then you read through Jesus' words and you see it all over the place. Right. The reason we work towards virtue and all those kinds of things isn't because we're trying to get brownie points with God. It's because we constitute each other. And the kind of friend I am to you actually constitutes you, the kind of father I am to my son, constitutes him as the kind of son he is. The kind of the the way I espouse my wife, um, you know. So it behooves me to be a good constitutor, because that, in a sense, creates the other person. And again, that you can you can take that too far, 
Yeah. <laughs> right. But you can also not take it far enough. Right. And I, and I think, um, you know, in, our, in the Western culture, we don't even think that way at all. Right. right. So was there anything that you, that you end up doing or coming back to on a regular basis that, that, that helps you to be able to live in that way? Yeah. I mean, um, I've been blessed with um, not being able to sleep. <laughs> so uh, I'm a bit of an insomniac. And so I get up you know, every morning between three and four or five o'clock and and read. I'm a reader. Um, I've 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 read a lot of the, the Christian mystics, you know, the mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila's and the okay. John of the Cross, and and um, and that crowd, um, the early church fathers, um, the monastics. I've really, in my heart, wished I could um, develop that sense of contemplative silence, mm. but I I I just can't get there. Mm. I'm far too distracted. Every time a bunny runs across my path, I just go to my mind like a Jack Russell Terrier and I have to chase it. So right. I've never really learned, and I, I don't feel bad about that. Some people are gifted with sort of a capacity for, for inner quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I kind of get there is by reading. It settles me down. It sort of gets me out of my head. I get into someone else's for a while. Um, so I read a lot. I read a lot of theology. I read a lot of mystical theology. I read poetry. Um, um, I read biographies of, of great men and women. I've been, this morning I spent hours reading about Edith Stein, who was, <laughs> you know, this um, Jewish atheist um, in Nazi Germany that became a Christian and ended up dying in Auschwitz. And yeah. I, my goodness, that story is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it kindles, right? Like these, yeah, yeah. when we read about great lives or great ideas, they kindle fire within us, mm. right? And I come from those places of reading wanted to be more noble, better, loving, all those kinds of things. So they really do, you know, before I go off in my day, for me to have been able to read two or three hours, mm-hmm. and I know not everybody gets to do this. Um, right. um, other people have to find their own way how to get there from here. Um, um, but that really does fashion me a lot. Yeah, but I think it also sounds as though that, I mean, that's the same kind of thing as, as uh, being connected to others, right? Like you're... Sure. You're doing that in your reading. You're doing that across time and space. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's the democracy of the dead. It's the yeah, um, you know. Yeah. It's so and so, you know, Chesterton has profoundly influenced me and is one of my mentors. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis is. Uh, John of the Cross is one of my mentors. Father John Cronstadt is a mentor. Mm-hmm. And and what I do exactly, I do actually believe they're probably more alive than I am. And so there's there's, <laughs> you know, there's there's. It's not just um, a metaphor or an idea. It's actually true. Right. Right. Yeah. And it connects as well to this idea that you know we. We tend to gravitate towards what's new mm-hmm. um, in our in our culture. Like this is where we started talking about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, reading and not just reading. You know, here's the latest self help book or whatever, right? Like, right. But yeah. but reading in history and going back farther. History and, of theology and, and poetry. And poetry. Oh my goodness, ancient yeah. prayers. Like, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden, you, when you when you do that, then you start to look at read uh, look at scriptures and realize most of scripture is actually like art. Mm-hmm. A good chunk of it actually is in its original form poetry. Um, right. All the prophets, for sure. Right. Um, and and so it, it helps you sort of look at that again right. uh, for what it is. And I mean, this is profound literature. It's profound art. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps all that. But it also does it sort of it. it um, I mean, there's I'm I like new things like anybody else. Sure. But I honestly, if anybody's asking my advice, I would <laughs> say. That if you want to develop your spiritual life, you know, read eighty percent from people that are dead and twenty percent from people who are alive. 
you know, and uh, yeah. and I wouldn't I wouldn't go I wouldn't change that number very much. Yeah, yeah. You know, anything that's survived two, three, four hundred years or a couple thousand years is probably a reason. Mm-hmm. And still being read, right? Yeah. And the same thing for for music too. Like, oh, for sure. You look at some of the music that was written. It's old, old music. Yeah. Um, the things that were still making it into hymn books or the things that are still being sung in churches. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how many hymns did the Wesleys write? I mean, it's thousands oh, and thousands, but we're singing a small yeah. percentage of that. But yeah. those ones that have stood the test of time, like, yeah, let's those... go back to those and look at them. And, and say, why? Yeah, yeah. Let's ask the question, why did they stand the test yeah. of time? Not it's, hard, it's much harder to know what of today is going to stand this test of time. Well, exactly. Like, which Steve Bell songs yeah. are going to be? <laughs> oh, most of All of them. them. Most All of them, most of them, them for sure. Most of them make it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, as, um, as an artist, let me cough here. You know, it's funny, as an artist, I mean, uh, one of the things I really would delight in is if something of mine lasts beyond me. Right. Right? And so the the sad thing is, is I don't ever get to know in this life if that is going to happen, and I don't get mm-hmm. to make that decision. Right? So the question is, does the culture um, choose that? You know, but to me, I'd much rather have a song that's sung 400 years from now mm-hmm. than one that's a hit now. Well, if people take your advice, they're actually more likely to listen and engage with your music after you're dead. Right? After I'm dead, yeah. I kind of <laughs> so have to get out of the way. Advice, right? so. Exactly. But please, buy, buy <laughs> Steve's CDs. Like, yeah. go, and, go and get them. Uh, and Yeah, and then store them in some vault somewhere where people are going to read them you know, 200 years from now. That's pass them down idea. to your children. Yeah. yeah. yeah like pass Those them time down. vaults. Yeah. Um, so you are, like, obviously you're a musician, a mm-hmm. storyteller, a poet, um, and we've kind of been touching on this a little bit, but would you want to say any more about how I mean, this is kind of a big question. How does music, story, and poetry uh, play into spiritual formation? Like, how is that? How does that? How is that helpful for spiritual formation? Just this whole—that's kind of a big question. Well, no. But, I mean, it's. I mean, if spirituality is really about sort of digging into this, um, you know, um, this this deep relationality that penetrates all things. You know, this mm-hmm. mutual. You know, perichoresis, um, mutual penetration, that kind of deep relationality, yeah. uh, which we get from Trinity, you know, and it only makes sense, you know, if, if that's who God is and God creates, God would create something that resembles God in the same way that if you follow Steve Bell music for very long, you'll start to understand a little bit about who I am, right? I'm not just making up stuff. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing, I'm incarnating, I'm taking stuff inside of me and giving it a life I'm an incarnate. I, I incarnated outside of me with the song. Right. That's what artists do. Um, and uh, so, if there is this deep relationality um, that goes beyond words and just mere ideas, we need art to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, words are fantastic, but they are really limited. And we also mm-hmm. got to remember that words themselves are art. Right. They aren't the things themselves. When you see the word F I S H, that's not a fish. It's pointing to fish. It's mm-hmm. an indicator of fishness. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, uh, I can show you a fish, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know fish. But if I could tell you stories about fishing and I could tell you stories about eating and I could feed you with them and all that kind of stuff. So it really takes an experience beyond words to really understand even what f- fish means. Right, right. right? And art is, is that way. Art is sort of giving the invisible things a, um, the, the capacity of being experienced. Mm-hmm. Right, so a sonorous melody can take um, an an inadequate poem, and it's inadequate not because it's of the poet. Words just have limits, and it can say so much more. Right, right. Um, 
an abstract piece of art or even representation, representational art and stuff can help use icons. I mean, the whole idea of icons is that you see past them into a deeper reality. Right. If you're only seeing the surface painting, you're not seeing the icon, mm-hmm. right? The idea is that you're supposed to see through them into a deeper, a, a, a deeper truth, a deeper paracretic right, um, right. reality. Right. And so it is absolutely essential um, unfortunately, in our day and age, art has become been reduced to entertainment, mm. and art serves well as entertainment. But it's an unfortunate reduction if that's all we let it do. Right. And poetry is the same, um, dance, all these things, you know, and their language. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to kind of learn how to read or or speak that language mm-hmm. too. So it's a bit of effort. So when people say, "I don't get poetry." Of course you don't get poetry. You know, if you haven't spoken German your whole life, you get... Right. Yes. If you want to learn German, you kind of have to learn it. Right, right. And, um, and, and I used to... Like, I used to hate poetry. Yeah. I, I just thought... Me too. Like, what? Uh, don't I get don't, it. I, I just don't feel wanna, stupid. Like, yeah. I don't want to read this. <laughs> um, and now I would say, like, my go-to place in scripture is the Psalms. Of course. Which, is, which are poems. <laughs> which, are, which are poems, yeah. So, but yeah. It's, it's... You've got to immerse yourself. And sometimes I think just pushing past the not understanding... Yeah. And just keep reading, yeah. like, or keep listening. Yeah. Keep, wa- keep looking. Like, there, I think there are things you can learn about, you know, yeah. criticism and, and tools that you can use to yeah. learn how to learn. Yeah. But also sometimes it's just pushing past. And, um, you know, I've had the, uh, the pleasure of uh, uh, being at a bunch of your concerts. And one of the things that I appreciate about those as well is there's, like, it is entertaining. Oh, but at the same yeah. time, yeah. But at the same time, there's depth in the concerts. Like, you could probably listen to one of your albums and just listen to it and have it on in the background and be like, "Oh, right. that's nice music." Yeah. But at the concerts, especially, I've just found you leave afterwards and something has happened within you, right? Like something, right? right. Something has taken place there, and there's this this exchange. It exchange that's is the right word. Yeah. It, between ex- between yeah. two people, like between not just two people, there's a whole group, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But but something bigger is going on, and yeah. I think anytime you're engaging with art, um, I think that's hopefully what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, whether it's poetry or whether you're reading it or whether you're listening, um, or or in an experience like a concert or something. Well, yeah, like that. And, and or to, worship as well. For sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what we've done is we become sort of these passive recipients of art, you mm-hmm. know, and we mm-hmm. sort of sit there. And we're either we like it or we don't. If we don't like right. it, we despise it. If we do like it, we're happy for the being for being tickled or whatever. Right. You've got to realize that in any engagement with art, it is engagement. And you said the exact word Charles Williams writes about this profoundly. It has to be exchange. Yeah. You know, you have to give yourself to it before it'll give itself to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't know what you don't love. Right. That that's a theological sort of philosophical um Things you have to give yourself in love to something before you'll ever know what it is, mm-hmm. whether that be uh, your child or an idea. Right. Um, you know, um, actually, I have a new song um, for my next album um, that really is about that. Um, that that um, oh, how does it let it go? Um, uh, wouldn't you love to know? Hmm. Is the question. But um, the, the the thing is, if you can't know what you don't love, wouldn't you therefore choose to love in order that you can know? That's yeah. that's what that means. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so it's a neat concept, but it's the same with art, with poetry. The thing about those things, though, is that they, I mean, people shouldn't feel bad they don't get it. No. I don't, I don't get French, you know, but right. if, I, if, I, if I really want to learn French, I'm going to find a kindly guide. Right. I'm going to find someone that knows how to teach. Sure. Right? Um, and with art, it's the same thing. I've, I've had really kind, I've had kindly guides. I've had, I remember one mm. time having a conversation with a guy, Cal McFarlane from Briarcrest, of all places. <laughs> 
uh, we're having coffee one morning. I'd done a concert the night before, and he had asked me what poets I love. And I went, I just, I laughed. I says, I don't love any poets. I don't get it, you know. And he was horrified that I, and he couldn't believe, given what, how I write, that I wasn't, you know, riffing off of poets. And I said, I don't even know where to start, you know. And he said, I'll help you. And two weeks later, in the mail came a book, Gerard Manley Hopkins. It was just a reader. And he just said, these three poems, the rest, forget it. You'll never get them. Right, and one was you know um, uh, uh, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Like um, okay. it, it was it, it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me um, uh, a novel by um, uh, Frederick Beekner mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. Godric, which is high art as far as I'm concerned. And and I read that book and changed my life. Mm-hmm. But there were there were really nice entry points. I had a kindly guide that yeah. sort of talked to me long enough to know what my capacity, my entry level was. Mm-hmm. Right, and then sent me stuff entry level that was appropriate to who I am, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden, bang! And then once you get a taste of that, then you start pursuing it on your own, right? Because you sense the joy of it and the beauty of it and the goodness of it, right? right. Yeah, and I think that's—I mean—that's kind of what we need. Like we need—I like that kindly guide. Yeah. Rather than we sometimes use the word mentor. Yeah. It sounds so formal. Yeah, it sounds so formal. It's <laughs> dour, know? too. Mentoring yeah. seems dour. You yeah. know, kindly guide, I think, is... Kind of like that. You know, I think a mentor should be a kindly guide, but I think yeah. kindly guide is better. But another way of thinking about art, I mean, and storytelling as a part of it, I mean, I can tell you all the all the physical qualities of my wife so that you could recognize her at the airport if I send you to pick her up. Sure. That doesn't mean you know her at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you might know that she has gray hair and she's got, you know, green eyes and she's roughly 5'8 and... You know, um, you know, I can tell you all those things, but you wouldn't for a second assume you know my wife, right? right? Um, but if I want to know my wife, I'll tell you a story about her. Mm. You know, and she's funny, mm-hmm. I'll tell you a funny story. She's smart, I'll tell you those kind of things. I'll tell you how she, um, her, her capacity for empathy and, uh, you know, all those kind of things. And, and I could probably get you well on the way to knowing my wife without... You having never met her, right. and I think with theology, sometimes when we when we do theology, what we're what we're describing is God's eye color. Mm-hmm. We're describing, you know, His waist size. Right. You know, these are all things that, yeah, God's creator. All, you know, whatever those things are, but yeah. in the end, Jesus told stories because yeah. th- those sort of more sort of dis- those those physical descriptors kinds of things really, in the end, don't really work. And right. the stories that naturally need to be parabolic because. Even a story is incapable. It can only point you to. Right. It's not the thing itself. We were just, uh, just this past Sunday, uh, we were talking about the Good Samaritan story. Mm-hmm. And it's a question, well, why did Jesus tell this story? Like the answers, he's <laughs> asked a question yeah. of what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah. And then that kind of moves to, um, where does it move to? Well, I'm drawing a blank. But basically he's talking to, a, a lawyer, right, who's trying right. to trap him. Right. Um, right. And why doesn't Jesus just say, just like, you answer. don't have to do anything to inherit eternal life. It's it's grace. It's yeah. a gift. Like, yeah. that's the correct theological answer. Yeah. yeah. But he goes down this road of, well, what does the law say? You love the Lord your God and yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. And then, he, you know, but who's my neighbor? Yeah. And then why doesn't he just say, well, everyone's your neighbor? Because we know that's right. the right answer. Right. But, but, but then he goes and tells yeah. the Good Samaritan story. Yeah. And there's this whole surplus of meaning that's in the story. Oh yeah, of course. And, and that, suddenly that's now we know, 
right? It'd be culturally embedded, like you know, like yeah. it's lost on us. I, I've oh, never yeah. met a Samaritan. Yeah, I'm not going to do my I, sermon. And I, and I, <laughs> no, but I, cer- yeah. I certainly don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I have no emotional reaction to the word Samaritan. There would have been right. profound yeah. emotional yeah. reactions. Yeah, but exactly. we're seeing it right now. You know. Um, yeah. You know. I mean. We should tell the story about, you know, the, you know, the Christian is lying by the road and the, and the imam walks by, you know, sure. like, you know, it's just like, you know, whoever makes you fearful, whoever is so other yeah. that your stomach kind of recoils at the sound of their name, yeah. the sound of their, their, um, their, their cultural origin. Yeah, I used both examples, actually, Did of you? saying, you yeah. know, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's a Muslim who walks down the road. Yeah. And I said, but if you agree too quickly with that and think, yeah, that's what Jesus was talking about, yeah. then maybe you need to imagine the Trump supporter is walking down the road and actually well, stops and helps someone. Well, there you go. You know, because you know it's, it's, you. it's yeah. whoever you recoil against. Yeah, it's, yeah if, they're not, if, they're not, if they're not bringing up a bit of a horror for you, right. then you'd haven't, you're, not, you're not telling the right parable. Yeah. Very, yeah. very good. So, <laughs> very um, good. All right. We, we've talked lots, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you uh, also <laughs> just one, about uh, the pilgrim year. Actually, is something I want to ask about. You're already like, coughing. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Sorry. We'll just leave that in. Okay, it's fine. It's authentic. It's okay, authentic. I'm really sick. Yeah. Okay. Um, not that sick. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Pilgrim Year. Yeah. And if you could tell the listeners what that is. Because um, <laughs> I, my sense is not enough people know about this. Okay. And uh, I mean, maybe they do. Maybe there's tons of people who know about it. But I think it's a really cool thing. And, and if people want to engage with it, I would love for them to to go and, 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 and check it out. So. Well, uh, boy, it's so hard to describe, which is one of the reasons why Maybe. people don't really know about it. Because, you know, if you yeah. say this is a CD or a record or a cassette, everyone exactly has a mental image of what it is. Yeah. If you could put together, you know, um, like it's a bit of a podcast concept, but with writing, it's like if you could put together podcasts and books and CDs and art into a digital format all at once. Right. That's what that's what Pilgrimier is. And really what it is is it's using um, a, um, a digital format to, to communicate using all those different things. Right. So the, the, really what it is is a kind of like an online book, mm-hmm. but it's different than a book in the sense of not only are you going to read, but you can press a button and hear a song, you can look at a piece of art, um, you, know, um, you can watch a video, and what I wanted to do with Pilgrim Year is is to write several books on the on the major seasons of the church calendar year. So we have Advent, Christmas Tide, um, uh, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Ordinary Tide. They're all huge seasons within the church that have profound meanings. Um, and I think there's a there's a huge resurgence in interest, especially amongst young evangelicals, mm-hmm. on this tradition of the church as being sort of fairly um, meaningful. And so I kind of wanted to write a series of books, sort of church calendar year for dummies kind of right. kind of idea. I mean, I hate using the word dummies, but you know what I'm saying. It, it, um, and so it's not... We, we won't draw attention to the fact that you just said young evangelicals. And, and dummies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. No. No, no. Oh, no. For, well, no. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure everybody gets what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But the idea that, that this is just, it's introductory. Yeah. But each chapter, so I've got a book on Advent, and each cha- one chapter just opens up with saying, what, what is, you know, Advent? It, you know, it comes from the same word as adventure. Hmm. Um, yeah. There's there's things to think about with Advent. You know that Advent is really a feast. Sorry, sorry, is a fast, yeah. much like Lent, but it's got different qualities to it than Lent does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so I talk about that, and then I start to go into some of the different different you know saints' days in Advent and some of the different traditions of Advent. Um, and so that reading over that that forty days before Christmas, anybody that's following along with this thing is going to get music, 
art, poetry, visuals, and text that kind of leads them into a deeper understanding of the season. Mm-hmm. And then they can move on to Christmastide, which is 12 days, not one. Right. Christmas traditionally is 12 days, and that's, there's, there's reasons for that. Right, and then of course you've got um, Epiphany, which is a season, especially amongst evangelicals. We have almost no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it was sort of a way of putting online something that somebody could download onto their iPhone or their, onto their 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 tablet, um, and as they're sitting in Starbucks on their way to work, you know, they could mm-hmm. take ten minutes, put on a set of headphones, and they could read and listen to some music and. Yeah, because there's, there's basically an app that people can yeah, it's use an app. that accesses it. Yeah, and so then they can sort of dig into that at their own pace. But each chapter is really meant to be about a 15-minute experience at the most, mm-hmm. right? So it's really – it's for busy people mm-hmm. um, who would like to kind of go deeper into the tradition but don't have hours to weed through books and – because if you go to the official church books on these things, they're just so they're just so they're massive dense. and yeah. yeah, and dense. Like you just get really depressed. <laughs> and I'm sort of fortunate that I know I know um, little enough that I don't over tell it. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like I'm actually don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself yeah. someone who's fairly new to the tradition. Mm-hmm. But I find even a superficial um, overview quite staggering. Yeah, I and I walked through some of it. Okay. I think I think the Advent right. uh, uh, piece, um, and I found it was it was it was really good. Like I found it very helpful, and it was I, I'm a pastor, and and we right. observe all of the church here, right. well, most of the church here right. stuff. Um, Presbyterians are a little loose with it. Like, right. We're just sort of yeah. well, sometimes yeah, yeah. A what, bit. what it suits, yeah. Um, but uh, but I still found it like oh, I'm still learning something, or just here's a new image. Or yeah. a new way of thinking about it that I, I – often they're old ways of thinking that are new to me. Right. And uh, so I found that helpful. But I almost almost found some of the materials also devotional. Yep. It's, it's um, very devotional. So so it has – it plays a – it can play a bunch of roles, I think. And that's why I wanted to bring oh, it thanks. up in this yeah. interview. Because yeah. No, it's I not just it's information. Helpful. Yeah. No, it is like, It's not just if you don't know anything about Advent. Right. Read this. Yeah. It, it is that. It but does access emotions. It does, yeah. um, you know, and it does kindle, right? Like it, yeah. it, it, yeah. it kindles our ardor. Our, um, and I think, I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I think is my sort of what my gifts are supposed to do mm-hmm. um, is to kindle people's ardor for the things of God, you know, much more than sort of nail down profound theology, but just, just sort of tickle those places and get them going and kindle them and right. blow a bit of fire on them, you know, and then people can, um, you know, do what they want with that. But. Although I have to say, we can tell you've got pretty profound theology to you. So. Well, I've read a lot. <laughs> so I, but I the, whatever profound that. theology I've got is just because I just, but it's funny when I read books, um, the next day I, can, I can't really tell you what I read. But five years from now, I'll write a song and think it's original. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then five years after that, I'll pull out an old book and realize that I ripped off that book and this song yeah. five. You know, so it's, it's but you it know, I think I think more people are like that actually. I think probably. Um, yeah. I, I think that's normal, and maybe people need to hear that as well. That you know, you're going to read something, whether it's a devo- devotional thing or read the Bible or whatever it is, yeah. or hear a sermon, yeah. and it's having effect on you. Certainly, yeah. But. But and that will come out six months from now yep. or a year from now. Like, yeah. So I think part of what I want to help people with is to is to help them think about what it is that they're allowing to shape them. You know, and yeah. Because because it, yeah. you don't think it's having an effect. It is. Um, so I think, yeah. and and not like I watch Netflix. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I and I and yeah. I'm watching sports. You know, yeah. but but I think an awareness of, you know, where's the balance or where is. Right. 
you know, where, where is an imbalance and be yeah. deliberate about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Well, if you think, of, if you think about the, the, the analogy of just eating, you know, there oh, yeah. really yeah. is nothing wrong with stopping at 7-Eleven and getting yourself a crunchy on the way home from work. Right. Right. That's lovely. That's fine. And, and I'm, I'm happy that we have these little delights. But boy, you wouldn't want a steady diet of it. Like yeah, if you want to sure. be healthy, you really have to choose what you're eating and have yeah. to be deliberate yeah. about it. Yeah. And people that aren't deliberate end up unhealthy. Sure. Um, and so there's there's absolutely no reason to think that on a spiritual level that's not the same, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And one should recall when Jesus says, "I am the bread of life," that he's that's what he's getting at. You right. know, if you feast on me, you get a different outcome mm-hmm. than if you feast on something that's not me. Right, right. You know, so it's kind of just saying, I mean, do what you will, mm-hmm. but some of it is just actually just just makes sense. Right. Yeah. And our listeners should really deliberately go and purchase Steve Bell music. Oh yeah. Oh, like, I, I think, think that's oh, yeah. really that's, what, that's like high quality food. Really <laughs> so where do people where do people go online to to find you? Oh, I mean Let's... you can find me everywhere, but stevebell.com okay. is is where you go if you want to get like to, to my place. blog or if you yep. want to get to my store for CDs or the DVDs or if you want concert information. Sure. But I'm everywhere, like like everybody else is. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on all mm-hmm. those all yep. those outlets. It's all these days. It's you everywhere. just put it out everywhere. Yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. good. Okay, yeah. thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Steve. Matt. It was fun. Yeah, it was very fun. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Bell. As promised, uh, here are a couple of tracks of Steve's. First, I'm just going to share with you one of my favorite songs of his. It's called Kindness. And it is from an album by the same name that came out in 2011. And that album I just love. Um, But this particular track, I wanted to read to you before playing it just a little bit from the notes on that album. Here's what it says about this song. Kindness, hardly a quaint sentiment, is fundamental to the fabric of authentic good life Neither utopian nor naive, sustainable kindness flows from a deeply internalized knowledge of the kinship of all things, what the saints have always known, that a live, that a lived regard for the other, cherishing even enemies, is the sanest way forward. Indeed, it is a fundamental intuition of my own Christian faith that understands God to be a familial communion a unity marked by self-donation, mutual othering, and ecstatic overflow, which issues forth as creation, you and I, field and stream, songbird and leviathan, soil and sky. It's all good. It's kind. And I'm going to hear that song now. We're going to hear that song now. And uh, it's in some ways even a summing up of some of the themes that came out in the interview that I had the privilege of doing. Uh, After Kindness, we're going to hear one more track, um, but here first is this wonderful and beautiful song, Kindness. Christ has no body, 
hands, no feet here on earth but ours. Ours the eyes through which he looks on this world with kindness. Ours are the hands through which he works. Ours are the feet on which he song of Steve's that we're going to hear today is the title track from Where the Good Way Lies, which is his latest album. Um, the album itself is uh, pretty cool in that he recorded it uh, in an analog uh, format, and you can actually get the LP as well as the CDs and online, of course, things like Spotify and iTunes. Uh, this track we talked about in the interview, and it's just really interesting um, and I think quite different than a lot of Steve's music, um, particularly this song. Um, so uh, keep that open mind as you listen to it. Um, it features not just Steve Bell, but also uh, a rapper named Fresh IE, who is also from Winnipeg. So um, if you if you are familiar with Steve Bell and familiar with Fresh IE, uh, you might have thought these uh, wow these guys would not necessarily collaborate on a song. Um, but if that is not enough, there are also excerpts from an OG Cree song, uh, which is composed and performed by Coco Ray Stevenson, who is of the Peguist First Peguist First Nation. Um, so First Nations person. Um, who's a musician, collaborated with this. Um, it also has uh, uh, some jazz uh, trumpet interlude in it. Um, so it's this this combination of styles all in this one song. So it actually makes for a really, uh, really interesting and cool song. Uh, so let's uh, give it a listen. And thank you so much for listening today. Uh, to this interview and this wonderful music. This is 
where the good way lies. of sage, dancing the lights in the note, chanting a warrior's cry, courage to walk in the night, seven fires burn, seven teachings led, courage to open the eyes, humility, dust of the earth, honesty, personal ties, 
Today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.